Welcome to Venture in the South, a podcast devoted to angel investing in the southeastern United States. I am your host, Paul Clark, and with my friend and fellow angel investor, David Grizel, we have over 90 startup investments in the southeast. We hope to share some southern hospitality as you join us to Venture in the South. Hi, this is Paul Clark at Venture in the South. Welcome back to our podcast about angel investing in the southeastern United States. Today, we're going to tackle a perennially fascinating and misunderstood topic. How do angel deals actually get structured? What is a safe? What's a convertible note? What is preferred equity? Why as a founder do I care? And why as an investor do I want to pay close attention to the deal structures that I'm investing in? We're going to try to cover each of those three types of uh, financing vehicle, safes, convertible notes, and preferred equity in a quick overview session today. And then in future episodes, we'll dive down into more detail on each of those. So let's start um, with safes. Those are um, a vehicle that is very popular in areas outside of the Southeast, less popular in the Southeast, but something that is becoming more and more uh, prevalent even here. Um, SAFE stands for Simple Agreement for Future Equity. And to boil that down for those of us that are not attorneys, um, that just means an agreement with a company in exchange for you giving them money that says at some point you will figure out how to buy equity in this company, which is a pretty um, vague way of going about things. Um, and there are some problems involved in that that we'll talk about. Um, but it is a pretty simple way to go about things at the beginning, which is why they're popular. So those instruments came from the west coast um there were sort of the original flavor of that was basically just as i explained it um the next flavor of that where people started using this um they added what is called a, a valuation cap on that safe so at some point i will um i will be able to buy equity from you at some maximum price that was the the nuance that was added that became even more nuanced between um, the w- with some definition around what that valuation meant. Was it a pre-money valuation or a post-money valuation? And without digging down too far in the weeds, um, that was the, uh, the the innovations to the safe. David, can you tell us why people started using safes in the first place? Well, it was it was pretty simple. So they originated from Y Combinator in the go-go days of the early 2010s. And so safes were faster, cheaper, and simpler than the conventional convertible notes and preferred equity. And so a lot of the deals were done in very short period of time. Um, and so faster, cheaper, simpler was attractive. Um, and it's important to recognize both for founders and for investors that safes are convertible securities. So they're not carried on the balance sheet. And so that's pretty attractive for a founder to not have something that they owe on the balance sheet. So it's not debt. It does uh, increase the dilution of founders if you run into trouble in the future in a broader sense in terms of the economy. So if the valuations of startups decline and you have uh, you know, a valuation cap, um, that still counts. But it, it's also worth noting that if you have a high demand startup, so very popular, a lot of investors want to get into it, then the founders have a lot of leverage. And that's exactly the circumstance where safes are frequently used because the founders perceive it as faster, simpler, cheaper, and they have so many investors, they can turn them away. So 
So that's just the, you know, the golden rule. Who He who has the gold makes the rules. But don't the investors typically have the gold? So, I mean, from the flip side, um, the startups have leverage against against not being required to take money on disadvantageous terms. So that that's great for them. Um, the usually the, he who has the goal are the investors, um, but in this case they're willing to overlook some of the challenges to 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 the investors as as an instrument. So yeah, so um, you have some of these startups that are so popular, you have competition among investors to get into the deal. Yeah, and so it's a demand supply issue where there's more demand for the investment than there is supply of the company. Yeah, so. That's what I'm referring to. Yeah, right. Got it. Um, the the reasons that there might be some hesitancy from investors to using a safe, though, um, maybe we could just outline those just for a second, just so people understand what what why that leverage is translating into the use of a safe. Um, from my perspective as an investor, I want to know what I'm buying, and the fundamental problem with a safe is I don't know that I'm buying the ability to invest in a future company. Oh, well, the same company, but in the future. And if you've watched the evolution of companies over time, a company five years from now might be quite different from what a company is today. Um, and so the problem that I face as an investor is I don't really know what I'm buying and when. These safes don't have a sort of maturity date, a date that something has to have happened by or the company has to pay you back by. And so Although, I'm, Paul, to be fair, the post-money safe does have a cap, right? It tells me what the price will be of what I'm buying, yeah. But it doesn't tell me if I ever actually get to do it or when. Yeah, or even the price. The maximum price is one thing, but the actual price might be you know, quite a lot different, lower than that. But, but where, I don't know. So, um, yeah, it's, it, the price is one thing, but um, not knowing when this is going to happen is the uncertainty I don't love as an investor. The other thing I don't love is there's no actual requirement that anything ever gets done. So it's a simple agreement for future equity if there is future equity for me to buy, which there may not be. Um, it's all very well and good saying you can invest in the next round. What if there isn't a next round? I'm sat here four years later, and this isn't a hypothetical conversation, and it doesn't happen in most companies, but in some companies, and you know, in real life, investors call me fairly frequently saying, I own this safe that I've had for four years. What can I do about it? And my answer is, go back four years, don't invest in a safe. Because there's <laughs> nothing you can do about it at this point. You can be a pain in the neck, but nobody wants to be a pain in the neck to you know, the founders they're supporting. So what can you do? Nothing. You just have to wait and see what happens with this company. Um, you probably want to put it in your will because you may well have this investment in this safe for a long time before anything ever happens to it. So that's the real, the real risk of no subsequent equity leaving kind of the safe holders stranded. Um, is a real-life outcome of companies that, generally speaking, aren't doing super well. Um, you know, it happens, it happens a decent amount. The other problem is I, I want to be involved in the decision-making when I invest in something. I don't want to own the company and, you know, dictate everything that goes on, but I do want to have, like, sort of a modicum of rights, some kind of, you know, respect from the people taking my money that they're going to do things, you know, in collaboration or consultation with me. As a safe holder, I get none of that. I get no rights to information. I get no, uh, you know, decision making on whether this particular move is a good idea or not. Um, all of which can, you know, fundamentally impact the value of my investment. I have no input on, and that is probably fine for lots of investors who don't want it. It's probably fine for most founders that 
don't need it. But in a lot of cases where I want it and the founders can benefit from it, um, we're leaving a lot of wasted value there by using a safe when we ought to have something something else. So those are a couple of some of the reasons why investors don't love it. Um, there are other sort of legal technicalities and complexities, tax implications, you know, QSBS um, issues, and lots of other stuff we can spend lots of time on uh, about why safes are maybe not the best way to go. Um, but maybe let's leave that there because safes are winning despite those reservations um, from a lot of investors. Um, so yeah, definitely a, a viable way, way to go. So let's move on to convertible notes then. Yeah. So these are uh, a slightly older vehicle, um, share in many respects the same kind of characteristics as safes, except that they are debt. So this is a, a loan that I am making to a company. And in exchange for the cash I'm giving them, I am buying um, two things. One, I'm buying some interest. So there's usually an interest rate attached to it. I'm never receiving that interest in cash, but um, there is an interest rate that's rolling up the value of my of my instrument on the company's balance sheet. But the other thing I'm buying is the ability to turn that debt into equity at some point. Uh, that sounds a lot like my description of the safe, but it's a bit more tangible than that in a couple of reasons. One is um, there is a time limit. So in a typical example, I know you'd, you'd raise a convertible note that has a two-year maturity. So sometime in the next two years, enough is going to happen to this company that turns my note into equity. And if it doesn't, these are the things we're going to do to get, get me my money back or change it into equity anyway, but we're going to figure out the way the way that's going to work. It being debt on the balance sheet and it having a maturity date provides an entirely different set of dynamics around this investment, even though sort of nominally it's kind of the same kind of idea. To add a bit of um, you know, tangible deal terms to the note, they will also have a cap on the valuation. So that will, again, set the maximum price that I'm going to be buying my equity at at some point. Um, it will have a discount probably. So a discount will be, you know, later on you sell shares for $10 a share. My convertible note gives me a 20% discount to that so I can buy shares at $8 a share. That's basically what the the, um, the conversion, the discount does subject to that valuation cap. So if the maximum I'm willing to pay is, or maximum I'm agreed to pay is $7 a share, then I'll actually pay seven, not eight. But those two things sort of interact. Venture in the South is brought to you in part by the Rolling South Fund, a rolling fund focused on startups in the Southeast. The Rolling South Fund allows individual investors to invest in our selected Southern startups quarterly with a minimum of just $5,000. For more information and to go invest, visit rollingsouth.vc. So that's how basically a convertible note works. Um, David, you want to tell us a little bit about why investors don't love convertible notes? Well, the 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 main reasons I think that that we don't like convertible notes is because um, we have um, limited visibility to the sh the amount that we own of the company and the price that we're going to pay, and the fact that um, there are there are uncertainties for the the founders as well in terms of future financings and the complexity that it adds to future financing. So these convertible notes frequently get stacked. And so you have several rounds of convertible notes that makes the cap table very difficult to plan and to interpret and to understand because you have all these uh, conversion 
uh, events that happen at different points um, and have different conditions attached to them. So it ends up being a high level of complexity. Probably the most complex cap table is the one that has three or four stacked uh, convertible notes, uh, particularly if the convertible notes are interspersed between equity rounds. So it, it's, it can be a mess. And, and you know, combining that with the other issues of convertible notes, it's something that we as angels tend to avoid if we can, although I have to admit that we have attractive deals that we want to be part of, and we swallow our pride and buy into a convertible note because we want to be in the deal. So, okay, Paul, let's talk about equity financing. Yeah, so the third vehicle that we mentioned was preferred equity, and that is, uh, at a very simple level, uh, investors buying a share in the company that, that is raising money. So in exchange for $10, you will sell me one preferred equity share in your startup. Um, I like that because I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm buying, one share. I know the cost, $10. So I know exactly how much the company is worth because I know how many shares there are. I know my ownership. Um, I I have a sort of war the tight contract with you that that's what I'm buying and these are the terms and conditions that I'm buying it on. Preferred equity rounds typically um, require some paperwork. They require some brain power and some effort to get them done. But once they're done, everybody sort of knows exactly what they've what's gone on, and life is quite a lot simpler going forward. So that's really the fundamental reason why we like it, uh, and why we why we make investments in preferred equity. And once we've made the investment, then it's very clear what the job is of everybody. It's to build a great company to turn that share from being worth ten dollars into a hundred dollars, and we're all rowing in the same direction to try to make that happen. Hopefully, that's the goal. Um, to talk about some of the features of what preferred equity means. So it's called preferred equity because it has what's called a liquidation preference. And that means in a scenario where things have not gone very well and we sell the company for not very much money, the preferred shareholders, me in the case of this, as I'm the investor in this example, get their money back before other people get some of the proceeds. So you may have put all of your heart and soul into a business as a founder, but it failed and you sold it for less than I put into the company as an investment. The bad news is with my preferred equity, I get to take my money back um, before you get to see very much reward for for not executing on the plan that you uh, said you were going to do. So that obviously is not great for the founder in that scenario, but it does at least get the investor the chance to get their money back in, in scenarios where uh, things have not gone according to plan. Um, through no fault of the investor themselves. Um, so that's the the basic idea of preferred equity. There are hundreds of pages of documents, dozens of topics we could talk about to, um, to flesh out exactly how preferred equity works. And in part because of that, you know, the, the, the documentation on preferred equity is complicated and takes longer and is more expensive and may not be worth the headache of... Um, uh, of going through that for all the founders or, or maybe even for all investors. Um, but it's something that we're willing to do. Um, and generally speaking, I think that provides us with a better chance of making good investments and making money ultimately as investors than other structures. So Paul, is, is it fair to say that preferred equity provides better alignment between investors and founders relative to safes and notes? I think it is fair to say that, yeah. 
Um, in the case of a convertible note, for example, once I'm owning a convertible note, I want the share price on that company to be as high as possible because then I uh, I had the biggest benefit of my discount or valuation cap. So that's good. The bad news is as a founder, you want the share price on the next round to be as low as possible because it dilutes you as little as possible with respect to that note. So we aren't always working exactly the same direction at that point. We have slightly different alignment of interests which is usually okay. I mean, if people are working together productively, that's okay. But in the minority of cases where things are not all going in the same direction, having people working against each other is not a recipe for a success. Uh, and so in, in those situations, um, preferred equity, generally speaking, is provides better alignment for people. They aren't foolproof. So in this scenario I was describing where we were selling the company for not very much, my goal as an investor is for to get just about enough money out of this to get my money back because I get the first proceeds. I don't that much care about, you know, creditors or other complexity. Um, and I'd be willing to take a deal at a lower price than maybe somebody else's that isn't going to get any of the waterfall. So in that scenario, um, the alignment is perhaps not quite so good as we would hope. So it's not, they're not foolproof, um, but um, but generally speaking, they provide better alignment. So generally... A reasonable person could conclude that preferred equity is just less risky for investors. So why really do anything else as an angel investor? Well, why don't you answer that, David? You're the, <laughs> you're, you're the, the one that, that, that asked it. You answer it. Well, I think, you know, my, my own perspective is the, what I mentioned earlier, that, that uh, the, the protection you get from, the, from equity and the conflicts of interest that you see with convertible notes and safes um, and the fact that that these things can make a big difference in exits um, is the reason why I generally avoid safes and and convertible notes I, I do own them so like I meant like I said before there are some attractive deals that you have no choice but it, it's worth keeping in mind too that even with per, uh, preferred equity, you have all these va these protections that are in that are uh, in the equity documents. Um, but when you have a bad outcome and the company is is unrolling or declaring bankruptcy, that that's where these protections matter the most. If you're growing like gamebusters and you're going to exit for a billion dollars, this I didn't care. Everybody's making money. Everybody's happy. All these protections from the preferred equity become irrelevant. So really, investors need to think about the preferred equity protections in the context of when things go bad, which is often enough. So maybe half the time more things go bad. And so that's really a big reason to prefer preferred equity, in my view. But you're willing to make exceptions rule so um what is it about those other deals that um that make you willing to forego all this stuff you've learned about why private why preferred equities are i think it's just the prospects for growth the the prospects for growth are so compelling that it overwhelms your concern and again in a winning scenario doesn't really matter right these things matter in, in a in a big win yeah one of the um follow-on sort of discussion items, regardless of what structure you use, is to everybody knows exactly who owns what in a company all the time. 
We do a lot of educational material um, at Venture South and Venture Carolina cap tables um, because they are challenging to do, especially when you're mixing together all of these different financing tools. So one thing to keep in mind is make sure you understand as a founder and as an investor what the implications are of different structures you're using to invest. Keep track on your cap table of who owns what and who might own what when this convertible note converts or when this safe turns into actual equity. Um, and that can be pretty hard to do. You can outsource that to your attorney, but I'll tell you that probably they'll get it wrong. You can outsource that to your <laughs> investors, but I'll tell you they'll probably also get it wrong. Um, fundamentally, somebody at the company, ideally the CEO, and probably everybody in, you know, with meaningful stakes in the company, needs to understand what the cap table is for that company and what is going on with it. Um, and there's really no shortcut to making the effort to understanding how that works and how these different investment structures might impact uh, what ultimately you own in the company at the end of this entrepreneurial journey. Another value add from investors, uh, just in terms of having another set of eyes looking at the cap table going, wait a minute. Um, so yeah, the yeah. cap tables are complicated. Well, thank you, Paul. That was a great review. And I hope the listeners uh, have some questions that they can send us and maybe some ideas about what we can discuss about some of these instruments. So thank you again. This podcast is supported in part by Venture Carolina, an educational nonprofit. The Venture Carolina team and its partners are focused on supporting educational events in the Southern startup ecosystem. Our team is built from successful entrepreneurs, investors, venture capitalists, board members, and executives that want to give back. Visit us at VentureCarolina.org. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. If so, consider subscribing and leaving us a positive review. Visit us at VentureInTheSouth.com to learn more about angel investing in the Southeast. And for a complete list of previous and future shows, please contact us if you have any comments, requests, or a great idea for our show. And please join us next time as we venture in the South. Music